Welcome back to RinkWise, everyone. We are New England's premier hockey podcast produced by the New England Hockey Journal. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. Joined via Zoom, very excited for our next guest and a dear friend of mine, the one and only Digit Murphy. Digit, welcome to the show. Steph, Good morning. Awesome to be here. Awesome to be a guest. Awesome to see one of the female premier leaders in hockey. You know, just just bringing it full circle, right? Seeing you come of age as, you know, we've known each other since I was recruiting you back in the day when you were yeah, the yeah. best player yeah. coming out of the uh, North Country there. Yes. And there are times, right? Yeah. Not man. many of us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That goes way back. Yeah. We joke about how you coach my cousin and you guys used to call her Flip, right? With yep. her heart was on the other side of the Vanessa, of her body. Vanessa. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. And she never found out until she was at Brown. But yeah, no, it's been an amazing, yeah, digit way back. We were just saying that before the show started. And likewise, you know, I appreciate obviously the nice words. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to have great people like you and mentors and and things like that, because that's just so important. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important for women coaches and and any woman and professions that are predominantly male, right? Because what happens is, you know, you feel isolated, you feel alone. And, you know, for me, I was one of the first, right? I mean, it was 1987, if you can believe that, when I started at Brown. And, you know, women's hockey coaches, women being, you know, in those kind of positions was unheard of. And when I, it's so funny, the, the story is, is I quit my job, you know, after I was, I was working in corporate America, 1986, 87, like I graduated in 83 from Cornell. And I went to work for Data General and I, I mean, it was fun. I was making a lot of money, but I didn't like it. So I ended up quitting my job to go back to school to be a phys ed teacher, right? And then I somehow I got the Brown job and the rest is history. But, you know, I started Steph at $2,500 as an assistant coach in 1987, which is wow. ridiculous, right? Yeah, and the men's, right. and you know, and the, just to bring it around to gender equality, right? The men's assistant coach was making 25000 Right. And, you know, it, it, I mean, granted, we only had 10 teams, but there was no talk of gender equality back when I started. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, Didge, why are you such a, you know, a buster? You know, why are you always like, you know, trying to advocate? And I'm like, because, you know, if we don't advocate, who will? So, you know, it was, it was kind of a, kind of a slap in the face that, you know, we didn't get paid as much. However, we did have that opportunity. And I always hold that near and dear to my heart when I talk about Brown. And then when I did get the job as head coach in 1989 at Brown University, I was a, one of the first, me and Laura Halderson, remember that? Back oh, yeah. then, we were yep. the only two women. And I made 26000 and the men's coach made fifty. So, you know, and, and here's what I'm going to say. And I, I, I don't want to just get off on my soapbox, but I, this is why it's important important that we fight for equity because when there's inequity your retirement matters right so now when I'm making half of that head coach that's a man or whoever you know the other side of the fence I lost all my retirement for all those years because I wasn't paid equity and that's what women need to start to hone in on right when they start to apply why they should value themselves they should also value themselves, their future selves, because right. they will not get retirement. And I, I know I went off a tangent, but there's so many places that we can go off on when you talk about women, mentoring, life skills through sports. So you tell me where we want to go, Steph, because I'm a big fan of yours. 
Well, and again, you know, likewise, and that was really going to be one of the first things to to bring up. I mean, you know, one of the reasons I, I could talk to you all all day, right? Just we could just talk hockey all day. We probably could, right? That's why we, we have to limit sometimes our calls. You know, we have to space them out. But, you know, you are really one of, you know, if not the pioneers of women's hockey. And now, you know, just in general, women's sports. And, you know, it's 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 really that's just incredible. Right. Because look at someone like me, for example, now. Right. Who's come down the road a little bit later and like now look at the opportunities. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, looking at players, too. You know, I know when I was growing up, it was either play boys hockey or you didn't have an option of playing. Right. And now I can, you know, run a program where I have like 30 little you weights on the ice. Right. So if it wasn't for people like you years ago, paving the way, literally. Right. Then look what you've created now. Opportunities for someone like myself yeah, you know, or others down the road. Well, well, thank you for saying that. And it's nice to be acknowledged because, you know, you have you have this group of women that actually appreciate the people that came before you. And then you have the group of women that think they invented it. It's like this really weird dichotomy in women and how we just can't support each other. So thank you for for supporting some of the things that, you know, I've done in my career. And True. Um, you know, it's well deserved as well. Well, thank you. You know, it, so much of its stuff is a sense of a mission-driven sense of purpose that I've always had my whole life, right? It's like, I'm writing, I'm writing my book. It's always taken me a million years to write my book because everyone wants to listen to my book or, you know, listen to what I have to say. But I just really remember back when I was um, probably nine, 10 years old, and I was a baseball player initially uh, in my life. So it's my first sport. I love the Red Sox. I had a wiffle ball, the first thing they put in my, in my hand. I wasn't in Canada, so baseball was my sport. Yeah. And I could hit the ball out of the field. That was like a phenom, right? And when I went to go sign up for Little League, they're like, oh, yeah, no, sorry, you're a girl. You got to play softball and you got to wait till you're 12 years old. Like, I thought I had that shot in the face. I, I just could not believe that they would not want me in the game because I made the game better. And, you know, I think that sense of inequity has really driven me, you know, to where I am today and to just, you know, keep moving and keep shaking and keep creating opportunities. And I look at myself as a gardener, right? If I keep planting the seeds, if I plant the seeds in advocating for more teams in college, which is which I did in college, you know, advocating for more opportunities at USA Hockey, you know, you know, coaching with the Olympic team back when they weren't really an Olympic team. They were just a national team coaching with Russ McCurdy, you know, and, and really pushing that see it be it mindset in those early years. I think did plant the seeds for now the Wisconsin and the Minnesotas have equality in their rates. And I wasn't, I wasn't uh, alone. You know, I was, Laura Halderson was there. Jackie Bardo was there. Karen Kay was there. Katie Stone was there. You know, uh, this is awful what's happening to her now. You know, just, I know I'm forgetting people. Heather Lindstad, Kelly Dyer. You know, there were a lot of women that, you know, really were pioneers that really have not been, um, not only not valued, but really not authenticated for the work that they did. And this is why, you know, I have this nonprofit, Play It Forward Sport. This is why I'm constantly championing women causes. You know, I have the Herstory Museum that, you know, tells women sports stories. But, you know, it's hard because if you know what makes the world go round, it's money, power, and influence. And yes, I can influence a group of women, but you've arrived when you have the money and the power behind you. And 
I, I hate to say it, but that's the way the world is. So you can't get your message around that unless you have money and power. And I have drive, I have mission, and I have or- organic growth mindset. So, you know, I'm, I'm still working on the giant, you know, amount of money that I'm going to make and it's still going to happen. But, you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, in digit, you know, I think honestly, you're also probably one of the most passionate people I've ever met in my life, really, honestly. And I mean, I, I just, I love you, you know, I love you dearly. You know, if, if anything, you know, it's, you know, if there's something on your mind, you also speak it and, you know, I listen straight up. I know that doesn't go over well with some people. I mean, I love it. Right. And well, it's, it's what makes you absolutely unique. And, you know, I, I like to digit, I think use sometimes the analogy of like the iceberg. Right. And it's like, now I think if we look at women's sports, where we are now, that's sort of like the tip of the iceberg. Right. Like where you see kind of Wisconsin's and Ohio State's and, you know, Northeastern's, whatever, like they have these great facilities and, you know, there's there's all these opportunities now for females. But it's like the under the water, right, that huge giant iceberg that's under there. It's think it's really important to know what we people had to do, like all those names you just mentioned. I knew every one of them. Right. Those are those are legendary names. And again, also pioneers. and if it wasn't for for the work that people did all the all that time, we wouldn't have the tip of the iceberg that we see now. Yeah, and I I agree with you 100%. And also the iceberg analogy is what is lurking under the water that are the dangerous spots, right? And and I think the dangerous part of where we're at right now is that we are okay with having half a loaf, right? And I say that because we still don't fill the stands at Northeastern. I mean, we're doing a better job. We don't fill the stands at Harvard. And a lot of that, is because we haven't really come of age with the marketing and the university really caring about about women's sports. We have Title IX. Title IX mandates that these that these universities has to have them. It doesn't mandate that they have to fill the stands. It, ma- it mandates that they have to have equitable locker rooms. They have to have equal number of teams. They have equal coaches' salaries, which they still don't have, and. You know, I think that we still have not gotten there. And the fact that women are not advocating for the fact that they haven't gotten there, because they haven't, we are equal. I'm going to tell you how we're equal. We are equal when men and women can coach either side. That's equal. We are equal when locker rooms, ice time, everything is equal. We're not there yet. Not with everyone. And we're equitable when the fans come to watch both. And I'm not saying this is going to happen overnight, but it's going to happen with universities caring about this, which they don't. And you know, the ones that don't and the ones that do, they don't care. Okay. Because you're not filling it out. You know, you still have, you still have places in college that say, Oh, you're just lucky to have a job. And you know what? If you, if you don't, if you keep chirping, you're fired. And that's, and that's something I think. And actually, and the players. Don't support women coaches either. You know, the players are calling for people's heads. So, you know, this whole cadre of issues that still continue, you know, to happen in women's sports. And the only ones that can solve them are women and women allies. Okay. And, and, and we have to aggregate those people to care. And we still have not done that. I'm going to say one last thing. Ever since I have left the coaches environment, it's been completely different. I was, you know, myself and my group of my posse, the posse, Shannon Miller, you know, Katie Stone, 
we held the NCAA accountable. We held the, we held the men's coaches uh, accountable as far as like equity. And all the women now will be like, oh yeah, it's great. We're under the, we're under the umbrella of the AW, uh, sorry, the uh, American co- hockey coaches. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. It ain't great. It's not great when you don't stand side by side with men. It's not great when you don't have your position funded. When you are underneath men's hockey, and we, we need to, we need to go into the PW after this. When you're underneath the men's umbrella, you're their arm candy. You grow by as much as they want you to grow. That's what I mean about having money, power, and influence. When you can stand alone by yourself next to a men's sport by yourself, you can stay, you can stabilize your own, you know, revenue models and you can sustain on your own. That's when you've arrived. And universities have to give you money and support in order to do that. And in the pro space, it's the same. You got to do the work to get the crowd. So it's a good segue yeah. into the PW. You well, to go there. It, it sure is. Yeah. And we, we certainly do want to talk about that. I mean, just all very interesting things. You know, I want to kind of just dissect a little bit. And, you know, at some point, like there's you know, optimism, I I feel that we can get there. And I guess I'm going to bring up my incredible years and experience at Austin Prep. And I guess why I want to bring that up is because obviously I I loved every year there and it was just such a big part of my career. But for the most part, the women's hockey team, our program, we were the top performing team at the school. And we did get a lot of support and Digit straight up oftentimes we had the highest attendance of games for our playoffs. We filled the stands. In fact, for our last state championship, get this, you'll love this. And I think I've, I've maybe shown you the video, but I, there was probably between three and 4,000 people at TD Garden for our state championship. And I have people I don't even know that came up to me and were like, hey, you know, we went to your game. Like, we've never seen a team go 27 and 0 before. We wanted to see that happen. Right. And so, like, again, optimism, I feel like it can happen. Like, we, we were just a top performing team. You know, we oftentimes had the highest attendance of any sport at that school at, at the games. I, and I, I agree with you all wholeheartedly, but they were smart enough to hire you. Okay. Thank you. You recruited, you recruited like probably like a, a mad woman, right? You were all over the recruiting. You were good. You were winning. They supported you. Okay. Now go to a different program. Like, for example, let's talk about, uh, I don't know, Brown or Dartmouth or some of those programs that are at the bottom of the ECAC that are starting to go up. You know, what are they doing quickly to support the initiatives? Are the locker rooms you know, equitable? Like, do they give you the recruiting help in facilities that make sure that they're going to keep up with the Joneses? I know they did it at Brown. I know they try and do it at Dartmouth, but it takes time. Okay, Steph. And why? Here's the thing. I know you say it optimistically. When, why didn't they do it at the beginning? I'll tell you why. Because they didn't have threats of lawsuits and it shouldn't come to that. That's my point. My point is Austin Prep went out and they got the best coach. And they, they lived their mission and they got you the 3000 people. I challenge every university to compete the same way they do for men's, you know, winning to do it on the same side for the women. And not yes. all universities do that. And those, those are the challenges that we have. And I'm optimistic like you, 
but there's only so much money to go around. And that's where we have to do a better job as women figuring out ways to care about getting more people there and not just trying to care about just winning a hockey game. You have to do more than that. And I remember when I was at Brown, the ADs would be like, why do you always have to go on these committees and try to push, you know, gender equality? Why do you have to go out into the community and, you know, try to support people coming? Just win hockey games. And I'm, you know, you don't have enough time. And I'm like, ruffle feathers. Is that what they meant? Why do you have to ruffle feathers? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you have to? So, I mean, obviously you see how I am and, and, you know, you even love it or you hate it, but, you know, as a coach, as a, as a motivator, you have to live your truth. I mean, as anyone, as any person, you live your truth and you'll be successful. Indeed. And let's, you know, let's talk a little bit about the Title IX. I mean, obviously that was a game changer and a lot of has, a lot of good things have happened since then. But Digit, I know you're, you're a big part of that. Like, why don't just talk a little bit, maybe just in a general context, just to help educate people, but also too, yeah. like how that has just made such an impact. I guess. On yeah, the so, yeah. So Title IX, essentially, probably a lot of people always look at it as a sports statute. But Title IX is an educational statute that basically says that if your university or your school, high school is getting federal funding, you must give equal opportunity to educational facilities for boys and girls. So really, it's it, it's science labs, you know, it's the machine shops, you know, and, and okay. sports kind of just fell underneath that umbrella because mm. they fell under Title IX, you know, education. Okay. And that's why when, you know, if you, if you look at Title IX, there's only 37 words and basically it says all, all people are denied equal access to education. That's really all it says. And the way that Title IX got a good or a bad name, depending on your side of the fence, you shouldn't have any side of the fence. You should just care about humans, not male or female, is that you know, women started to actually sue because Title IX was not enforced. So what happened was when you when women would go to get access to ice time or to field space, they would deny that or, you know, they were denied. They were put into crappy time slots or, you know, their coaches were paid two dollars and the men were paid 200. So that's where Title IX really took off as far as, you know, gender equality went sports. And now, you know, there's a lot of uh, Title IX language associated around sexual harassment and all that, which, again, here we go again. We're going to blame the victim and, you know, we're going to blame Title IX. But Title IX really, really has, has done the most for women's sports participation on the planet. And we lead the way in so many ways in the U.S. when it comes to international growth. You know, when I coached over in China, there's no Title IX. Like they like throw you in and you do what they say. And there's, I mean, I'm not saying there's no gender equality, but let's just say that you get what you get. The other thing I want, the other point I want to make about, about Title IX is that the reason why Title IX is different, like a lot of people go, oh, well, we want equal access when we, when we cross over to the pro space, right? And the reason why you can't have the same amount of, let's just say, passion, you, you can't demand anything when you get into the real world and you get into the capitalistic economy, right? Okay. I don't know if I'm like losing you here, but. Oh, not Title at all. Nine is in university. Very interesting. All of it. The it's, university. Yeah. Okay. The university is, is, a, is, is, is organized around government funding. Okay. And federal funding. So basically, and it's an entitlement program. Think about this. You get funding, you get support from the federal government for your universities. So you have to fall on that umbrella 
of following the rules of university. The second you step over to a capitalistic economy where now it's all about ROI, it's all about P&Ls, it's all about business, you have to now create your own fan base. You have to create your own revenue stream. You don't just get it. Now, I'm going to ask you a question now. Just I just told you this, okay? Yeah. I said, universities get federal funding, have to file Title IX. Other side of the other side of the fence, business ROI when you get to pro. Okay. What is the number one revenue driver? Okay. For women's sports. How do women's sports get their money at universities? Well, I believe if you've already given the answer, it's federally, federally funded. Okay. Right? So if they're compliant with Title IX, mm-hmm. so revenue generate. I mean, uh, I guess that would be my my guess, right? But kind of a trick uh, question. Kind of yeah, a trick right. question. Because people right. always say ticket sales, men's sports, alumni sure. donations, all that, sponsorships, right? The real, the real funding source for any athletic program, anyone, is tuition dollars. Ah. Tuition dollars ah. is the engine, the revenue driver for all sports. Now, certain athletic departments like, you know, University of Wisconsin, men's women's side or places that have these giant football stadiums, that definitely are revenue drivers. But at Merrimack College, where you don't, do you have a football team? They do. Yes, there is. Yes. Okay. Well, I don't yes. know, but I'm just saying like at the yeah. smaller institutions like, you know, yours or wherever, they're not, they're not raking it in for a men's hockey because, you know, think about it. You got... So you got 15 home games, just say, for men's side, even the men's side. How big is your stadium? Say it's 4,000 people, okay? You're charging five bucks a ticket or no. 10, let's say 10 bucks a ticket. I don't know, 20 bucks a ticket. Let's say 20 bucks for 4,000 people. That means you've got, what is it, 80, 80,000, 20 times 40. So 80,000 times 15 games. It's really not a lot when it comes to how you have to fund your whole program. Sure. I mean, it's a lot of money and you're not, you're not filling that stadium 15 times at 20 bucks a pop. I mean, maybe you are, but it's just that when you start to do the math, you'll really see how expensive sports is and what the true revenue driver is, which is the fact that you can have a program and the university supports it. So they must fund it. There's nothing to do with the PL. Oh, you don't make the money this year. You're out of business. Just like the PHF is. Interesting. That's again, very interesting, right? I mean, I I knew having you on the pod would be highly <laughs> educational, right? Not just for for the audience, but for for us as well. You know, listening in and very interesting. And you know, I mean, again, just Title Nine. You know, I know you've been a big part of that. It's it's been great. I mean, we've made a lot of headway, but there's still a long way to go for sure. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And that's why I'm always talking about crossing it over now and and looking at those entitlement programs for Title Nine and just putting them aside. As we move into the pro space, which is, you know, for me, the next adventure of advocacy, right? How sure. do you cap, how do you, how do you support women's sports in a capitalistic economy? How do you value women's sports differently? You know, I always said education, empowerment, inclusion. You have a unique opportunity to educate the public when you're an athlete. You know, life lessons and life skills carry on into from sports into life. You know, there's just so many things that, you know, it's a health and wellness initiative. So, you know, there's so many ways that you can sponsor and value women in the sports space that you can do differently than men. 
and we still want to be the NHL. And that's what the PWHL right now represents. They want to be the NHL. Remember how I talked earlier about being under the umbrella of the American Hockey Coach Association? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what the PW wants to do. Because women think they've arrived when men accept them. And those are old values. I can't even believe I'm saying this. I'm 62 years old. I should think like that. But for whatever reason, I'm a perpetual millennial. You know, I'm not woke. I don't know if I'm woke. I don't even freaking know what woke is. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But I just know I'm me and I know what makes sense when I look at the world through a female lens, not a male lens. Yeah. No, again, very interesting. It's, you know, I know with, uh, you never get a chance to to meet her, unfortunately, but my mother, the dear lady, Linda, my mother, my mother, Linda would, you know, she kind of similar to what you're describing a little bit, you know, when she was growing up, like she, she would have loved to play sports, right? She just never had an opportunity. It just wasn't, just wasn't the thing. Like this girl, she just, just really didn't, didn't really do it. She, she told me when they started playing basketball, you know, there was a rule where you couldn't even dribble. Like you had to, you know, pass it. It was just silly. Right. And, and the girls had to wear skirts and, and, you know, of course she has three daughters. Right. And one in particular, like we we're all very athletic, but one in particular was probably like you, you were describing of yourself, right? Really a pretty sharp athlete. Right. And, you know, she was also the vice principal at the high school I went to. So mm-hmm. did it, you would love this. Right. So years in advance, you know, knowing she had a little firecracker you know, coming up, who is just, you know, incredible athlete. And she really paved the way with like the basketball program there, you know, who didn't have anything the same, right, as the men's Mm -hmm. side. And she knew we would be coming along. And, you know, by the time I got there to high school, like I had an incredible career, right? Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, finished my career as as one of the best basketball and hockey players, basically, in our province. And it was all that work that was done in advance. Yeah. And, but you know, it also, I mean, I just want to, I just want to tell everyone how ridiculous that is that you could play two sports, two varsity sports <laughs> yeah. during the same everyone year. Said that. Right. It's ridiculous. And it right. was funny because when you had left Northeastern and like, I didn't know that you had played varsity basketball as well at Northeastern. And for the listeners who don't know, that is, I, I've never heard of anyone doing that. I, I heard of one person doing it. It was at Cornell when I was there, and it was way different back then. You could probably do it. I, one of my buddies, Sue Cosimdini, was swimming and hockey. And, to, and she did it, you know, simultaneously. But, you know, again, that was, that was earlier. But for you, I mean, that's just an incredible feat. So congratulations for that. You're a stud. Thank you. Thank you. It's, yeah, just obviously, right? Just, again, for, you know, people like yourself, or even my mother, right? And on a lower scale, just pave the way. So someone like me could just do what she loved to do. And that was play sports. Well, that's oh. our job. You know, that's your job now. now this is it, what it I is. say to challenge. You know, I challenge all, I mean, you know, you did it at the Islanders, you know, you, you have to have that see it, be it role model, right? And day after day, you know, I know like I, I talk to Liz Keedy a lot up in, up at Dartmouth because, you know, she's a real steady and stellar advocate for women. You know, she's she's very outspoken, too. And I hope that someday she can continue to be outspoken because I know what happens when you be outspoken. Next thing you know, you're on, you're on your path to, you know, the unemployment line. But she'll always oh. be employed because I love her. Well, um, and I'm, but, I'm fortunate um, now, we, too, Digit. I get to work with Erin, who you know well, yeah. right, at Merrimack. Erin, and she's amazing. Another, yeah. Well, but that's what yeah. my point is, is that we have to keep keep women in the pipeline. And what I'm seeing stuff and this is why I was getting to before I went off on my tangent about Liz. <laughs> Is that 
is that we have to get more women in the pipeline. And, and, and because I'm seeing, and I love men, I have four sons, I have an ex-husband, you know, it, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, we need more women in our game. And I'm seeing men hired all over the place to be coaches of women's teams. And what did I say earlier in the, in the broadcast? I said, it's not equal until men coach women and women coach men. You are not seeing the same amount of women coaching men. So I think we need to get more qualified women into the pipeline. I'm challenging you and Erin and all the women that are in the game right now to figure out a mentoring program. I did it for USA Hockey for nine years. You got to figure it out and you got to keep populating the pipeline. And I said it on my 37 seconds this morning. Do not only care about your job now. You have to care about the future, your future job in the future. Because if you do that, you won't be in the game as long as you can. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Incredible words of wisdom there. And, you know, <laughs> we'll, def we'll definitely certainly take you up on that. You know, you know that that's a, a big part of, of what I enjoy doing now and just mentoring. You know, you got you to gotta give back now, right? And as we said, if I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for people like you. And I need to be able to do the same, you know, to some you. upcoming young people. But, you know, two things that I just want to talk about, I think, before I have to jump on the ice for practice. But the two things are, you know, just discussing in terms of the, the female coaches getting into the game. And I want to talk about the pro, pro women's hockey league. But first, starting with, you know, one trend that we are starting to see, you know, I hopefully, hopefully it's a positive is getting, you know, females that you're seeing now pop up on the men's side, right? At the pro levels, some college levels, you know, I, do you think we're going to see more of that? Like it's, what do you, what do you think of all that going on? So I think that I, I, I want to know the motivation behind why they put people on the bench, right? And, you know, I mean, there have been, I guess my first thought is, why is it a first in 2023? Like, why has it taken this long? Daniel Sauvageau was one of the greatest hockey minds in the game in the 90s. Shannon Miller, Mel Davidson, myself, Katie Stone. There were so many women before, right? None have been on the bench. So right. I always question, what is your motivation behind that? Okay, is it a photo op? I don't know, but you're not seeing enough of them. If it was, if it was to help them get better, and they really valued women, I think you would see more. There were nine, count them, nine opportunities for coaches in NFL, football, whether they're strength coaches or whatever, nine in a sport where we don't even play football, okay? Hockey has been around since the 80s and 90s. We've been plugging away with women. I say, unfortunately, hockey is the ultimate white bread sport. It has limited diversity. It always will, in my opinion. And there's nothing they can do about it because it's an elite sport that's too expensive to play. And a lot of the, the opportunities they're giving women are all token. I love the women that are doing it. I, I, I applaud them. It's a hard job to be the first. But a lot of these opportunities, in my opinion, are to help the organization put their word out that they're, they are inclusive. And I challenge them always to be more inclusive. One person is not enough. And a first should not be happening in 2023. Yeah. I know. You, you know. asked. I told. Yeah. No, listen, interesting. And it's, listen, I, I think at the end of the day too, like I, I hope, you know, I hope that maybe that changes because I think we're, we're seeing some just extremely qualified female coaches, you know, regardless of gender, gender, excuse me, extremely qualified coaches who happen to be female, 
right? So here's, here's what men, here's, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to cut you off here. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I have to get this point in. Women, I would, I would contend are better in the locker room than men. And here's why. Because we know we are sensor feelers. We know what's happening. I know when a kid is upset. Yes. I know. Boy or girl, you have this incredible sixth sense that helps people. And I really believe that if you put more women in the locker room, your team would would be, I want to say a little more focused, but I want to say a little, a little more sensitive to what is happening around sure. them. And I yep. think that's a really big, uh, important trait in hockey because there's a lot of chaos going around, okay, on a hockey bench, in a hockey locker room. Reps are yelling, you're yelling at the bench, water bottles are being thrown, offsides, you know, you're on the bench. And all yep. of a sudden, when you're a woman, you can focus, you can multitask really well. So you know what's going on. So I think that, you know, we should we should accentuate traits that women have to help teams get better. And I think we're always looked at like, oh, too sensitive. They cry a lot. They're bitchy. Whatever it is that they associate with women, flip the switch and look at all the positive things women bring to the table and make that the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, listen, I, those are just some great points. And, you know, listen, we had uh, an old, not an old, and a mentor of mine as well, Jim Madigan, right? The current uh, mm-hmm. athletic oh, director yeah. at Northeastern and, you know, whose daughter is with the New Jersey Devils, et cetera. But, you know, he put it best. He manages, you know, a huge athletic department at Northeastern. Simply put, having male, female working, coinciding, you know, working on together. Side by side. It provides, yeah. it provides different perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. To simply put all the things that you're des- describing. I agree completely. Like, I mean, I feel like as a coach, Digit, that was always one of my best traits at Austin Prep. Like I could walk in the room instantaneously, re- immediately. I could the allergy. Yes. I could tell if we were going to play well or not, or yep. if there would be a player who was going to have a bad game because I could sense, right, if they were off. Right. And it's yep. not it's not like a, you know, like a prediction. It's just you're 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 studying them, right? Like you can just see if they're off their body language. And we, we do pick those things up. And I was usually right. You know, like yep. one of my captains, you know, had a horrible game in the playoffs and, you know, come to you find out it. there's all these things that were wrong with it. Right. So I could tell uh, you a million stories about how I use that as motivation or as an ability to read the room and, and adjust my speeches, right. My motivational tactics sure. based on that. And again, you know, I think that that some of these pro men's teams that we like, you know, think are the the end of the rainbow, they could really benefit by having women on their staffs. Well, we'll wait to see, you know, what happens for sure down the road with with some of this stuff. And I think quickly, just the last thing I do want to talk about is the Women's Professional League. So obviously there's mm-hmm. a big change this year, you know, so fill us in, you know, again, give us kind of a, a general overview, right, to the yeah. audience so they understand and... You know, well, well I think one sorts of opinions. Yes. I think I think for the last four or five years, the PWHL and the NWHL and the PHF, because you know they changed their name, they rebranded, have been at odds. And I think it was silly. I think the whole the whole us against them was just the most, in my opinion, the most ridiculously waste of resources that could happen in four or five years. Women needed to work together to right. grow the game together. And I think it was about power and control 
ego. There was just a lot of really bad, in my opinion, things associated with that fight, right? And it's just it totally played into the narrative of women fighting each other and all that. So it was really, I don't think it was a great, great storyline. Okay. You know, I, I got called by the PHF to work for them during COVID. I took the challenge through Joanna Boyton, who's a friend of mine, who her, oh, yeah. she donated. Yeah. Mutual friends there. Yeah. Yes. Millions, millions of dollars she sunk into women's hockey. And her number one goal was to try to unite the league. They, you know, their whole, the whole PHF did crazy things. In my opinion, they like, like they, the salary cap was off the charts. It was up to 1.5 million. By the time they left, it started at 300,000. And the PHF really, really, really tried to do whatever they could to get the war ended, to, you know, put that olive branch out there. But the PWHL called Billie Jean King, got her involved. And, you know, I, I really was hopeful that Billie Jean King was going to be the great unifier. You know, she was one of my heroes. And then when I saw the actual narrative of what happened, which was that she perpetuated the the narratives, which I thought, I like, what is happening here? Like, you're supposed to care about women's opportunities, not fight against each other. So that was a, a pretty, pretty upsetting stance that she took. And then when they really wouldn't work together, they, they, you know, Jaina and those guys, like they shut down the CWHL, which was an unbelievable fire starter for women's hockey. And their real number one goal in the PWHL was to shut down the PHF. Let's face it. That's what they did. And that was really disturbing to me from, from the standpoint of I am an opportunity creator. I have fought my whole life to advocate for opportunities. And the fact that they got their money, they put another women's league out of business. Yep. It was a business. But at the end of the day, they could have used that as a platform to, to continue the growth and they chose to shut it down and just take it in a different direction. I think that was a mistake. And I also think that the draft and creating this whole narrative around it's the first draft, not true. They've had drafts before. And the fact that they did it exactly like men's hockey, again, playing into the narrative that it's better to be like the men that it is to stand separately. And lastly, I don't like the fact that they didn't have all female GMs. You can't tell me there aren't six GMs that could be women, three men and three women. It's not their job to say we're gender equality. It's your job to get gender equality, okay, which is all women, see it, be it. And three men coaches, three women. I'm not loving it. Lastly, I'm not loving the fact that they put most of the PHF players, and we're not going to see them, maybe we will, at the bottom ranks of the money scale, okay? I'm not seeing a lot of the PHF players who are good hockey players be those first five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, draft picks. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying it because, you know, I saw the growth of the PHF. I saw what they tried to do. I saw them organically grow markets. I saw them give the players what they wanted and needed. I saw them give the players platforms. And when you sign a CBA for eight years, eight years, you've put two cycles of women hockey players into the bubble. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, right? I mean, the good side <laughs> is it's it's like, whoa. Well, it is, you know, I mean, it's it's a lot there, right? I mean, we could almost it do it a whole podcast just we'll on that. Show. You know, Whatever you want. I know you got to go. I know we're uh, on way over a half an hour, but no, you know, no, it's not enough hours in the day for me to educate the public because the truth is not out there. 
Yeah, no, you're right. You know, and we honestly did it would, you know, love to have you on again. It's it's great that there's just, you know, finish with this thought, the obviously a, a, more opportunities for females in this sport, which is awesome. However, we need to work together, right, to continue furthering yep. the progress, right? That's that's imperative, right? Because otherwise, you know, we we've made all this progress. We don't want to be halted or go backwards. And I think that that's what the PWH PWHL has done. They've set us back. We had 13 teams. They went down to six. I'm just saying, if right. you say that, I'm just telling you, that's not growing opportunities. That's reducing them. Right. It's been right. awesome to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, this was incredible. You know, truly. I mean, just again, love you, you know, and, you know, I knew that this would be just highly educational and a lot of fun, you know, in, in honestly, Digit, there's, there's so much more to talk about. So we definitely need to have you back on again. Happy to be back. Steph, thanks again for having me. Well, listen, I would love to catch up with you as well. We'll have to catch up live at some point, like we've been meaning to. But, you know, and again, just all the best. I know keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're you're paving the way. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are very fortunate to have you do what you do. Thanks, Steph. And that does it for this edition of RinkWise. Our podcast is produced by David Yaz. Be sure to catch us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Any Hockey Journal. And subscribe with us online at hockeyjournal.com. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Production.